I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yo, technology, what is it all about? And then there's actually this other story, which is very wrong, is that I got detained and whatever. So this was oh, I did see that. Week. Yeah, so you were yeah, not I did not get, I did, I were not detained. No one got arrested. No one got detained. So that's... I got so many personal friends reaching out to me and expecting me to sit in a Kenya prison. It did not happen. Actually, in fact, they were very friendly. And right. um, I was very happy that I went to Kenya. Do they still have your uh, orbs? They still have our orbs, yeah. Um, which is, which is uh, annoying. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I'm your host, Danny Fortson. And this week, we are talking about AI, crypto, and the future of humanity, obviously. I'm talking, of course, about WorldCoin. If you do not know what WorldCoin is, I'll tell you. It's a startup based out here in San Francisco. It was launched three or four years ago by Sam Altman, who, of course, is the CEO of OpenAI, the creator of ChatGPT. And it's kind of a bananas idea. So what they've developed is an eyeball scanning device called an orb. It's about the size of a bowling ball. It's chrome, nice and shiny, with a little camera inside. Um, It kind of looks like, in that sense, kind of like a giant magic eight ball. And you gaze into the orb. It scans your iris. And once it affirms that it has not seen this iris before in its database, it assigns that iris, i.e. you, a world ID, which is kind of a unique identification. Think of it almost like a digital passport. And to get you to kind of sign up, they also give you one other thing, which is free crypto, WorldCoin, um, which they have also created. Now, the question is, why are they doing this? Well, we have on the program Alex Blania, who's the CEO, to kind of go through the guiding philosophy of this project and importantly how it has all gone since they had a very public launch just two months ago in July. And that launch basically meant that WorldCoin sent their people with orbs out into the world, all over the world, to London, Nairobi, Buenos Aires, Tokyo, and introduced the idea and these orbs to the world. Now the question is, why are they doing this? And what they're doing is basically trying to solve two problems. One is fakery. So in this world of AI where people can create photorealistic images and voices and messages that are all very human-like, having some universal standard that shows humanness or not online is not a bad idea. And what better way to do that than a world ID based on your iris, which apparently is far more unique than, say, fingerprints. The second is also related to AI, and it's just the idea that As AI improves, the economy is going to change 
dramatically, i.e. jobs will be eliminated, work, the very concept of work will change, and machines will do more than not only blue-collar work, but also white-collar work. So, huge societal disruption, if you believe that. And the solution, oftentimes out here in Techland, that a lot of people love is this idea of universal basic income. Basically a stipend sent out to all of us so we can live a decent life, take care of our families, etc., even if there's less work or less valuable work for us to do. So, WorldCoin is building what it reckons is the rails for this new world with an ID for every human, all 8 billion of us, and a means of easily distributing the money to people via WorldCoin, this new digital currency they have created. Sounds completely off the wall, I know, but that is not all. Because what is so interesting, I find, of course, is that this is all the idea of Sam Altman, the man at OpenAI, who is arguably trying harder than anyone else to fast forward us to this place where AI is dominant and ubiquitous. So, you invent a thing, make obscene amounts of money doing it, upend society, and then invent another thing to solve the issues that you have created. It is quite a circular exercise in that sense. Um, in any event, that is WorldCoin. That is the context, which is, I think, important for just so you have that before we get to the discussion. So now we can do that and get to the conversation with Alex about the launch, about the challenges it has thrown up, and the very big ideas, big and kind of controversial ideas behind it. So it will, this one will give you lots of to think about. So here he is. Enjoy. We met virtually two months ago, right before WorldCoin kind of had its big coming out moment before you sent the orbs all around the world. <laughs> I guess the first obvious question is two months in, how's it going? I was just doing some research before we got on because you had some orbs in Chile and you've had like 200,000 people apparently get their world ID, get their eye scan in Chile. You had Kenya, basically the state was like, stop, this is too crazy. It was causing some kind of chaos there. And so you had the state kind of step in and you, before we started recording, you said you've been traveling all around the world and just kind of are back in San Francisco. So what has been happening? What has this last two months been? I can very easily say it has been the wildest two months of my life without any any hesitation. So, yeah, we, we launched, and I'm sure you probably have seen that launch because there was a lot of attention around it, not only in the U.S. but Yes, I got a world ID, by the way. I got scanned. Oh, that's awesome. And cool. um, one of your um, colleagues came over to Oakland with an orb. I got scanned in a cafe. I have a world ID. Obviously, I didn't get the world coin. Which is sad, but yes. Um, yes. So that was right at the start. So perhaps you could just talk about what the rollout was logistically, like how many cities and what that actually means. A couple of weeks before the launch, we made the decision that we want to be in many new cities um, just so we can at least be available, even if it's pretty tough to get to if it takes you an hour to kind of get to an orb in Tokyo that's fine but at least it has to be there so people cannot be mad at us at not yeah. even trying so we actually we sent we sent half of the team of the company's team out so people from the HR team or something flew to Tokyo with an orb and 
try to be available. So this was one part of the crazy action where we we entered many new cities. How many cities? I honestly don't. I can follow up with the exact number. I really, I really don't know at top of top of my head. I can walk you through the most important ones. So we, the new ones were in Asia. We've never been in Asia before, and so at launch we've been in Hong Kong, Singapore, Tokyo, South Korea. Uh, pretty small, but the, the first three went super crazy. We have been, of course, in in Europe, Germany, Spain, Portugal. Then we have been in India mostly focused on Delhi. Then we've been in Kenya, mostly focused on Nairobi, because yep. that's kind of the, the tech forward market for the African continent and African market. Uh, then we've been in Latin, mostly Argentina and Chile. And then in the US, we did not launch the token. So we have only been here with a very small footprint, essentially just getting kind of developers and super early adopters signed up in San Francisco, New York, Miami. And when you're saying you're in these cities, just so people understand, in these launching those cities meant you had somebody from Tools for Humanity, the company, fly out with an orb or two or three and set up in public space, a mall, downtown somewhere. So people can come see this shiny orb, ask questions and maybe decide or not decide to get their eyeball scanned. Yeah, the launch level was very different for different markets, just given how... Um because we've been testing before in many cities. So right. from the testing right. period, there's just there's just some cities where we, we had a lot of infrastructure, so it was much easier for us to do, and others not. So, for example, in pretty much all the European markets, we've already been set up really well. Uh, we've, we've operated there for 12 months. So Germany, Spain, Portugal was very smooth. In India, we had many orbs because we've been there uh, for a year almost. Same with right. Nairobi, same for Argentina, Chile. So really, the, the the really new ones were all the Asian markets. Really, these were the ones where we essentially just got TFH uh, team members in with five devices or so, and just kind of people could book in the app. Uh, so it was not public spaces, but rather in the app you could choose like, okay, team members said, okay, this morning I am near this location and then users could just say, okay, I'm, I'm coming by. And then right. we had lines for them there. Crazy lines, in fact. And so how many people have signed up in those two months? So the first week was especially wild because what's so different here is obviously they have this physical component, yeah. meaning, right, if you have 80,000 people signing up in a country in two weeks, right, that in an app, you don't really see that. But if you physically see all of these people coming to a couple orbs, then you see suddenly lines of thousands of people. And that happened. That happened. We had in Nairobi, which I think is a huge part of why I had to testify in front of Parliament. Uh, we had 9,000 people wait in front of four orbs on just a random Tuesday. And so people could not drive to work because the streets were blocked um, and things like that. So that is why they're like, all right, world coin, stop. And then you ended up having to testify in front of parliament? Yeah, I flew to Kenya, testified in front of parliament, and full day. <laughs> and what was the tenor of the, the hearing or the questions you were getting? It was really all over the place, because as you can imagine, in the country, world coin was really kind of the top news for a couple of weeks now, essentially, mm. with tech. Um, so you have crazy public awareness. I went to the hotel and, and 
the hotel staff was angry that recovery features not shipped and the other one was found it so funny that her mom now got into WorldCoin. It really became mainstream. And as a result of that, you have a lot of diehard fans that got super angry and build up political pressure for WorldCoin to resume operations. And so within the parliament, you had tech forward members that just had a lot of questions, but were fundamentally positive and kind of excited about WorldCoin. And then you had exactly the opposite, where people were just like, okay, we, we don't need this and whatever. So right. you had very opposing views. And so the questions I had to answer were everything from deep, like how does this actually technically work? Like, can you explain where this is going, why it matters, to why doesn't this work for blind people? Mm. I think you can imagine. You can imagine what I went through. It was a full day, uh, intense day of just the craziest and the most sophisticated questions all batched together in one hearing. How old are you? Um, 29. <laughs> and what were you doing, I don't know, through four years ago? Literally, the only thing I was doing, I was doing theoretical physics. So I was sitting in a room. Theoretical physics where? At Stanford? At Caltech. So four years ago, you're doing theoretical physics at Caltech. And last I, month or whatever it is, you're testifying in a full day marathon hearing in Kenya with lots of angry people or lots of interested people in this technology. Right. It's been a, it's been a journey. <laughs> this is it. it sounds like a journey. <laughs> so just on the numbers, because as you say, the whole point of this is that it is physical. It is, you, you know, that people, if they want to get a world ID, if they want to get the, the cryptocurrency, they have to actually have their iris scanned. So how many people, I can't remember how many you had before you launched because I saw on your website, you have about 2.3 million people and it's always ticking up. So how many of those 2.3 have happened since the actual official launch? So right now we are down from the launch weeks. That is because we actually had to relocate many locations because we could just not deal with the physical inbound of people. In other words, you're not, you're not registering new people in a lot of places right now. That's right. Right. Uh, so kind of we're building that up again. A very simple example is India. Like in India, the, the lines that formed were similar to Kenya, sometimes up to thousand plus people. And so you actually, you have to worry about physical violence and like instability and things like that. So we, we started shifting the, the model from everyone can come to you really have to book a slot. And then also we make these orbs like really hard to get to. So kind of we get the fans. <laughs> To, to get in. So to kind of make it hard so that it, you have to be kind of hardcore or really early adopter to be like, all right, I'm going to go through the extra pain to make this happen. Yes. And so just so we can actually manage the physical lines and all that comes with that. And so we really artificially limited many locations, reshifted others. So we, we went through like a whole operational and, and still do like a whole operational drill uh, mm. in the last couple of weeks. But launch week, I think, was around 80,000 signups which was crazy, as you can imagine. And then it was around the 40,000s a week. And now that's where we get back to. So that's, that's kind of where we are. Probably will go up to 100,000 towards the end of the year. That's roughly what I, what I think will happen. So 100,000 per week in terms of registrations. 100,000 per week. 100,000 physical registrations. Because presumably you're building more orbs, you're strategizing about how to roll out all this out to wider and wider populations. Correct. And so... App downloads was much, much wilder. App downloads went to 2 million or something, I think, 
weeks after launch. So we, we, we kind of saw a physical map of, which really also helps with operations. We saw a physical map of the world mm -hmm. and a lot of hotspots of kind of where the, the interest in Rollcoin is picking up. And so all of these people could reserve. They could say like, look, there is an orb near me, but now I, I already want to reserve my launch grant. Your launch grant of your crypto. Right. And then you could select your location. And so now we actually, we have a good sense of where we have to go next with operations. Basically, two big things happen. Like one is policy, talking to regulators, talking to governments, which is mostly what I do. And the second part is operational scale up, which means scale availability basically globally, just, just get orbs in all the major cities, increase the number of locations. So for example, India, or pretty much every other market where it's happened for that matter is if the number of devices in the country ramps up drastically, you don't have this problem anymore of very long lines mm. because you can just distribute it over many orbs, right? So that's the actual solution. Making it very hard to sign up is not a very sophisticated solution. Yeah. In fact, it's pretty annoying. So that's what we try to do right now. So how many, just to nail down the numbers, so how many people did you have on this before launch? Because if you're 2.3 million now, so you would presumably have signed up what three four hundred thousand people five hundred thousand people in the last two months something like that uh something like three hundred thousand so i think it's probably worth just explaining what the big idea is because i think when you guys actually announced like oh we're going to go out to all these cities around the world we're actually officially launching after a year of testing or whatever there was a, a huge flurry of coverage and it kind of in a way to a lot of people feels like some weird science fiction plot of like <laughs> we've created these shiny orbs that are the size of a bowling ball you gaze into it it takes a picture of your iris and in exchange you get crypto and a unique id that shows you're human what is the point of this like what is happening what's the big idea so it really comes at different time scales so in the in the, in the short term i think it's pretty easy to understand that as you deal with ChatGPT and Dali and kind of all of this generative but general AI tools is that the internet is going to change quite a bit, right? It's going to be really hard to distinguish what is actually created by a, a human being versus what is just yep. an AI tool. And I actually do think the United States will have the major wake-up moment around this probably around the elections as things pick up, right? Because these systems will be very good at especially as they get more open source and more widely available to push certain narratives and discuss topics on Twitter. And they will be very smart, very capable and understand which points to hit maybe better than even humans would. Right. So I do think it's going to become very critical that we as society, we essentially have some kind of human gate hmm. in many of the important services that we, that we use. Right. Twitter, I think, is a, is a great example. And Elon himself talks about that quite a bit, right? That bots are a big problem and that they will get so sophisticated that nothing can really stop them anymore other than, I mean, his solution is everyone has to pay, which I think is a terrible solution globally. Yeah. So that's kind of the first fundamental thing that Worldcoin is solving is we, we essentially build a physical device. It's called the Orb that issues everyone a proof of personhood which is just a form of hard identity that, however, is fully anonymous and therefore privacy preserving. And you can use to verify yourself online. The position it then takes it is really, it's the only alternative we have that is open source, decentralized, 
and privacy preserving to government identities uh, to do the same thing. Because all other startups that you see that kind of operate in a space, they usually build on top of government identities. Yeah. So there's what people call hard identities, which is what Rollcon is building, which is one level below that and really kind of tries to issue fundamental identifiers to everyone. So that core principle offering is this idea of proof of personhood in an age where it's increasingly easy and cheap and will be soon and is already in some cases free to imitate people and doing it in a very, very high fidelity way, especially when we're talking about online. And this is effectively like, you know, my California driver's license or my passport, but one level up in that it's one unified system. Anybody who registers can have it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but the having done this myself, had my iris scanned, this kind of is checked against the database of other irises, which apparently are more unique than fingerprints. Yes, much more. And then assuming that that does not show up, I am issued a very long string of numbers and letters or whatever, my unique world ID. And then that is my ID. It's not like you're um, linking me to my iris. It just goes into your database. Basically, the, the iris scan creates an ID once it's verified there's no others like it. And then that kind of chain is severed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. So we use something called zero knowledge proofs to separate your sign up from your actual account. So essentially your, your biometric data is not your, your account or anything like that, but rather your iris code that is created in that sign up. So actually, first of all, the images are not stored, which is very important. Hmm. But then secondly, the, the iris code only is used for an initial weakness check and that you as a user, you prove of your knowledge proofs that you're in that unique set of people. And so you create a fully privacy preserving way of online identification that is extremely unique. So the thing is, which is important to understand is like if you use face ID or, or fingerprints or all of these other things mm -hmm. that we talked about is what they actually do is they do a one-to-one -one verification, right? So I'm again, Alex using my phone. Yep. That's what, what the iPhone is solving. And that's actually fairly easy to solve other than fraud, right? So the hard thing that the iPhone is doing is to make sure that it actually is seeing a face and not a display and et cetera, et cetera. So it has depth sensors in there. But for Rollcoin and anyone else that wants to solve something like this, you have to compare one user against everyone else. So you have to you, you go from one to one to one to n, one to many, and for that you need much more entropy, much more information about each user. Otherwise, that comparison fails and you you actually hit a wall. So it's not that you have a constant error rate, but you actually hit a wall where you, you're not able to distinguish people anymore. And fingerprint doesn't work for that. Face doesn't work for that. The muscle of your eye has a lot of entropy. So that's the only thing that actually works for that hmm. on a billion plus people scale. So that's why we had to spend that much time, effort, and money on building this device and system. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So the concept of a, a, of a unique ID that you'll have forever, we'll come back to that. That is fairly understandable. What is the link between that and the other value proposition, so to speak, i.e. WorldCoin, the actual cryptocurrency that outside of America, which we also need to talk about, um, is when you <laughs> sign up, when you have your iris scanned, you get your world ID and you're also given some cryptocurrency, this new WorldCoin that you guys have created. What is the um, the thinking there? There's a couple of pieces to that. So headline number one is incentive alignment. Headline two is, I think, decentralization. And so incentive alignment is very easy and, and bootstrapping the network is very easy to understand. It's, it's some of, uh, like you might remember at the launch of PayPal, mm-hmm. PayPal gave, depending on the time, uh, $20 to each user to sign up for PayPal. Right? So you, you got an email, you said, okay, claim this email and right. you get $20 uh, loaded in your PayPal account. That actually bootstrapped the network, meaning that's why people sign up. And because people sign up, the network actually got useful because... Yeah. If only I'm using PayPal, it doesn't help me anything because I cannot send money to anyone. Yeah. In PayPal scale, this was around $70 million of VC money they spend on bootstrapping the network. In crypto, many people try to do the same thing, but with a token. Meaning, you launch a token, if you do well with that, and if people actually believe in your project, that might be billions of dollars. And you use these billions of dollars to create a large network. However, this always has failed because you did not have a way of solving for what is called civil resistance. So same thing as bots coming in and bots claiming many parts of this share that you're trying to give out. Mm-hmm. So it historically always has failed. Uh, however, we actually solved, we spent a lot of time and effort on solving this problem for many other reasons. And so that means we can launch a token, which we did, and use this token to bootstrap the network. So meaning you as a user, when you sign up, you get some part of this uh, network in the actual token, and that is an uh, incentive for you to actually sign up and join early, even though the network itself is not large enough yet for you to be really useful in many in many ways. Right, so it, it kind of cold starts this whole this whole network. And how many Worldcoin do you get currently? It's still changing because we're still trying to figure it out actually, and then at some point it will become an actual formula uh, sometime soon, probably in the next six months. So. You don't have to ask the question, we can look it up. But it, at launch, it has been 25 Rollcoin uh, for sign up. And then recurring every two weeks, you received another three, I see. Um, which which was $50 at sign up and then six every two weeks at the price back then. Got you. My guess is that when we talk again in a year or so, mm-hmm. is that, and Rollcoin has worked, 
it will be very profound what that does because we have never seen billions of dollars used to actually get a, a network to take off. And that's like that's essentially what we're doing. The, the network is valued at $15 billion right now. In terms of like world coin in the wild. Yes. And that doesn't because it's you're creating it from thin air effectively. That's not $15 billion you guys have to come up with. Right. So you're doing the PayPal approach, but creating money out of thin air. <laughs> I mean, essentially you get investors to that believe in the technology in the future of the network to invest into the network. And because of that, they actually finance the whole growth of the network in some sense. Right. Because the idea is if they're buying a bunch of world coin early and we talk in five years and there's a billion people that have a world ID and a bunch of world coin, then that innately will have a lot more value. Yes. And obviously the big elephant in the room is America, where you mean you're based in San Francisco. Um, I got my world ID in Oakland. I didn't get any world coin though. So can you just talk about what is happening in America vis-a-vis the crypto crackdown and what that means for your kind of your grand plans? Yeah, for us, it really just means that we stay out of this mess as long as we have to. And I do think actually we are probably the only high profile project that did that. Mm. Meaning we took a very extreme stance of we told all exchanges, we told all kind of major ecosystem players like, look, if you do anything with Rockland in the US, we will likely take legal action mm. all within our power. We will just stay out of the US. Um, until there's more regulatory clarity. And what I mean by that is, which is, I think, nothing new, um, there's a lot of discussions and debates around the SEC and the enforcement action they do on crypto. Yeah. And lack of regulatory rules in terms of how do you actually have to behave as a crypto project. And that's that's actually true. It's like, I mean, we have a large legal team. (laughs) And I'm generally, as you might get the sense from the conversation, I'm not a gangster. Um, it's like, I obviously, I, uh, I will comply with everything that there is. And I'm actually probably much more on the cautious side just personally, personally. So, um, if there would be something, I would just, I would just get the company to follow everything, but there is really just nothing, um, that is easy to, to understand and to follow. So we just stay out of the United States until that is resolved and until there is more clarity. There's Coinbase, there's many others that, that fight that battle right now. Yeah, they're fighting that battle, they're getting sued, they're countersuing, <laughs> there's all this back and forth. Yes. Yeah, all right. So we don't want to get into that right now. Yeah. So we just stay out of it. Is there like a guiding philosophy here with this project? Because what you're talking about is trying to create a global currency and a global ID. And if you are successful... I mean, it kind of gets into the realm of all the kind of a little bit of the crypto crazies like screw big government, screw government of all kinds. Fiat currency is a joke, all this stuff. It's like, well, if we can create this kind of a universal ID that maybe it supersedes your passport or your driver's license or your government issued ID. And the same thing with the currency, all of that is potentially trying to take away power and control from state institutions. You got your head in your hands. You've probably been asked this like a hundred times, including in Nairobi. I've I've literally been asked this exact question in front of parliament, which was much more heated than I think. I'm sure, I'm sure. So yeah, this is not a new line of questioning, but the, the fundamental reason why we started this project is 
in why actually Sam started this project. Sam started, so Sam Altman, the founder and CEO of OpenAI, he started this project before I even joined. So like I literally joined the project as a software engineer. This was my initial expectation of what I was getting myself into. And um, the reason why it started is that we believe AI is coming, um, and uh, especially AGI is coming. Yeah, I mean, Sam is building it. Sam is at least one of the people building it, yes. Of course, there's also Google and many others that do the same thing, but Sam is one of the more influential people building it. And one of the hopes of Rollcoin is that it can be a big and kind of important piece of societal infrastructure that makes all of this go for the better and distributes the upside with as many people as possible, uh, distributes the governance over it with as many people as possible, right? Because I don't think I really helped myself here with telling even more sci-fi stories with you ex explaining the project sounds like a sci-fi story, but mm. this is really what we believe. So you have an ID, you have an kind of a way to economically reach everyone. These are two very important building blocks for uh, rolling out some version of UBI in the future. Universal basic income. That was going to be my next question, right? Because I know that Correct. Sam, for those who are not totally up on all things AI, the goal of OpenAI, I believe, is to create artificial general intelligence, which is the best way to, I have heard that summed up as that would be, quote unquote, humanity's last invention, because it would be so powerful, it could solve all of these problems. It could kind of remove all kinds of work and drudgery from human existence. It's this kind of wild vision of the future that people who are working on this, some say this is coming, others say it's a pipe dream, whatever. Point is, if AGI comes, society changes, and we will need some form of universal basic income, which is every month or every two weeks, I just receive a check so I can you know, feed my family, live in my house, take care of my kids, because the very idea of work has changed so dramatically that it's not clear how many people will be gainfully employed. Is that roughly accurate? Well, that's one part of it. The other part of it is, of course, that I'm actually not part of the of the camp that people will just stop working and we are just going to be happy. And yeah, yeah, it's just the the type of work we do is going to be very different. And just just very simply speaking, right? Like if you have if you have a couple entities that actually crack AGI, these entities will make more profit than anything we've ever seen. Yeah, they will. All of the you know, it's like if we think the kind of the divide between the haves and have-nots is vast and growing now wait till it whoever the two or three that corner you know agi yeah i mean it's then you talk about probably significant percentage of the global gdp yeah that falls to a couple entities so actually there's a lot of literature on this but something like a windfall tax will likely happen right and will be required by governments even that these entities will have to share some amount of that wealth that is generated with the broader society i'm not that naive and think that like, okay, Rolkin is just a magical solution to all problems. Yeah. Right. But at least it's a technological layer that can be used to help with whatever collectively gets decided and, and the rules that are played. And so it's really important that Rollcoin at that point in time is a well-established and trusted technology layer. How many people work at Worldcoin or Tools for Humanity? Around 200. 200. And is that generally the kind of abiding belief of the people who are there is that 
this age of AGI is coming, this age where there will be a big windfall tax and that it will need to be redistributed. And presto, we're creating this system that will do that in the most efficient way possible. I actually don't think so. I think this is like such a, you have to have a lot of predetermined beliefs to get there. It's like you need to believe AI is real. You need to believe that actually it's going to happen in our lifetime. Like all of those things that yeah. many people still don't sign up to. And I think the most basic common denominator is that economically empowering everyone in the world and building a truly decentralized and privacy preserving system that it can solve all of these problems is something very good for the world. And if we don't do it, probably no one else does it because Rollcoin is one of these weird projects and companies where there is no competition. There is no one else doing it. And if we don't succeed, it's probably just not going to happen. Because something like Bitcoin, for example, which anybody can buy, does, is not linked to that unique ID system. Yes. Why I don't think it's not happening is because I think, I mean, I'm not excluding it might never happen in the future, but just in the past, no one else was crazy enough to raise a quarter billion dollars and work on something very abstract for four years and try to align a lot of smart people around it. It's just even within Silicon Valley, such moonshots don't happen every day, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> so well that, that that leads perfectly to like so going back to four years ago you're at caltech where are you from originally germany close to munich like one and a half hours okay. uh, from munich in a small town so did you grow up like a total sci-fi fan slash geek or something or you, is this like in other words is this like this stuff you're working on does it surprise you that you're doing what you're doing or not actually i was like when i grew up I mean, which is probably, again, not a surprising moment of this interview, but I was a nerd and I was a little bit of an outsider. So I was building a lot of robots. I was at all the science competitions. I built a car when I was 16. You built a car? I mean, I, I built like an old racing mini out of a couple other, like just like disassembled the whole car, right. rebuilt it. Took me one and a half years, but I actually did a lot of mechanical stuff. So you grew up doing that, those kind of projects, and did you come here for undergrad? I did undergrad in Germany in both mechanical engineering and physics. And then I started my master's in Germany at Max Planck, which is like mm -hmm. a semi-state-owned research yeah. institute, which is pretty well known. And then went into theoretical physics and then within theoretical physics, actually applying AI to large-scale quantum systems. So got very lucky to work with probably one of the earlier professors that really applied more sophisticated AI systems on, on physics and theoretical physics. Who's that? Florian Marquardt. Okay. That's his name. He's a director at Max Planck Institute for the Science of Light. Then within that, I transitioned to Caltech. Later, I wanted to do my PhD there, but this was actually to finish my master's. And then I got an email from Sam. How did you get an email from Sam? Like, how does he know about you? Odd. I get this question every time, and I never really asked him. I don't. It was it was uh, it was actually through Max, his co-founder. They probably did a pretty wide outreach to everyone that seemed somewhat smart in in tech and science, is my guess, mm. because they were just looking back then for software engineers, and I was one of many interviews, is what I know. Right. And so when they pitched the idea, and again, this is year four years ago, whenever you joined. Because this is pre-generative AI, this is pre-GPT-4, you know, all the stuff. What was your impression? Were you like, these dudes are crazy? Yeah, I was, I was totally like, these dudes are completely crazy. I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, what the hell is that? 
Actually, I had this reaction for months. Months after you joined? No, man, uh, that also, but <laughs> months after. Um, but, but months after, before I decided to actually work on this. As you can imagine, I had pretty high opportunity cost. Yeah. There's many other things I could have worked on. But then in the end, I was, um, <clears throat> Paul Graham used to say that the best startup ideas, they have this like intersection between they sound so crazy that no one else would decide to work on them. But from first principle reasoning, you can build up a path of how this could be widely successful. Mm. And um, this idea was in this intersection. What made me join in the end is like the launch itself already distributed millions of dollars to many people. Many of them live in less fortunate circumstances than I do. Uh, Effectively, I think probably up to $50 million at this point. Mm. There's not many NGOs that do something in that time frame. And so I was like, well, even if we fail, which I thought was the probability was at almost 100% uh, when I started working on it, and we only get there, uh, then I can sleep like a baby afterwards and can just do whatever comes next. Because the the idea is that you get WorldCoin when you sign up, and then presumably you can sell that for fiat currency. That's correct. Yeah. Right. What happens now? How many orbs do you have? How many orbs do you plan on having a year from now? Because this feels like you've launched in some of these places, the demand was so dramatic that you had to basically pull back and kind of regroup. So what happens next over this next six to 12 months? There's going to come a lot of very cool product and engineering announcements and launches. I think the first one is probably going to come in November. That's at least what we're aiming at November, December. But of course, the majority of the work right now is really just to build up the operations, which is, it, it is really just what you expect. It's very operational work. It's working with regulators, it's hiring teams locally and producing more devices and just rolling it out. So a lot of it is really just reaching more and more scale, more and more availability. And then of course, the other half of the company and, and the general project, the general ecosystem is working on integrations, new versions of the protocol, features that we know that are missing, weaknesses that we know that exist increasing the, the security and kind of all of these things. So we made this joke last week that it almost feels not like a company now or like a normal. Yeah. I, I think the job feels much more of what a normal CEO is actually thinking about on a daily basis, which certainly was not the first three and a half years working on this. Yeah. How long have you been the CEO? Almost three years now. So the first year when I joined, uh, I was only working on the tech. I was then effectively the CTO and then I, I became the CEO. Gotcha. What was the worst day you've had at this company? Oh man, I had many really bad days at this company. Uh, <laughs> it was a, it was a really really tough journey. It's hard to describe, actually. Why was it so hard? Well, I mean, like just first principle reason. You work on something that is pretty much by definition impossible. You need a lot of money to do it. It's incredibly hard to convince smart and talented people to work on something that mm-hmm. almost by definition will fail. And the same is true for investors. It's really hard to convince investors that investing $50 million into something that very likely will fail. So it, it really was like the first, this now changed. It really changed quite drastically over the last year. Now suddenly everyone wants to work here. Everyone wants, wants to invest and it's like, oh, so exciting and such a cool project, right? Mm-hmm. But, but the first two years, no investor wanted to talk to me. Uh, the first pitch, even Sam was pitching, by the way, back then. Sam did the initial pitches, 
But I think we had 40, 50 no's until we had the first yes in the Series A, which was like not much money. Who was the first yes? And the first yes was Chris Dixon at Andreessen Horowitz. Not surprising. So yeah, fundraising was tough. Hiring was tough. Tech was tough. Like everything, everything was just was mm. just hard. And then of course the public reaction. And when when first Rollcoin actually we didn't announce it, but it leaked from an investor. And you just have to imagine this moment where I'm literally six months out of university, and I'm sitting in this random office in the middle of Germany because I just lost my U.S. visa, and so I was locked in Germany. And Friday night. 11.30 a.m., I was still working. I got an email from Bloomberg, a Bloomberg reporter, which is my first interaction ever with a reporter right. in my whole life. And she was like, Alex, we will, we, we will leak the existence of Rockcoin. If we don't get a reaction from you, we will publish in an hour. And the company had 10 employees back then. It was, it was a surreal moment. And then then they published and like everything blew up. Like suddenly all the big media companies reached out to me and everyone was talking about us. People on Twitter gave us shit for like what back then was a very abstract idea. Hmm. And so I think this was certainly one of the top, holy shit, what is all of this bad moments? Right. One of the big questions I think everybody will have, and I think I mentioned this before, is around privacy. But also coming from like I ha I use Clear at the airport, which is like you have your eye scan and then you don't have to take all your papers out and you can get through the line. It's effectively you get something in exchange for giving up some kind of biometric data. But the question around privacy, around data security, um, especially when you're talking about biometric data, so a part of somebody's body, how do you assure people that what you are doing is privacy first and is secure. I mean, crypto got so much flack and so much, I mean, for all the right reasons, by the way, I think mm -hmm. the industry was terrible in many ways, but there's like a couple very deep guiding principles in this industry. And it's around a couple of things. It's around decentralization. It's around open source, right? These are like very deeply ingrained into what all of the space is supposedly trying to achieve. And I think that is the only real answer is like the majority is already open sourced of what we're doing uh, in a couple of months. Everything will be open source, meaning you can verify everything that is actually happening on technology. So right now I can tell you, look, like the technology is just fundamentally privacy preserving the way we designed it. And the only way how I think tens of millions or hundreds of people can, can trust that is that there's experts that can verify that this, this is actually true. That's the only solution. And then the second part is decentralization, which means that even if I'm in a bad mood, I cannot change anything about that. You have a decentralized setup of many people that run the most important parts of the system. Even the governance of, of the system is pushed to the users versus me. So it's September 2023. September 2028, if things go well, what does this project look like in terms of numbers, utility, etc. Well, it, it has entered your daily life. You probably use WorldID itself to verify yourself on many services that you use in your daily life. It might be social networks. It might be just general websites. It is the project that got crypto to actually mainstream and mm. turned out to become one of the largest financial rails in the world. And you see the first major experiments between 
AI and WorldCoin happening, meaning governance over major AI systems distributed to its users. Maybe you see the, well, certainly you will see the first UBI experiments running on WorldCoin. Well, hopefully WorldCoin has reached a significant part of the human population at this point. Who would be distributing that UBI in that scenario? We, we will see that. You might have some guesses. <laughs> oh, before I let you go, I was just looking. Did you guys have a, a some kind of raid in Nairobi? There's all these stories on online. Oh, we had all kinds of things in Nairobi. So unfortunately, you have to be more specific. But um, there was a warehouse was, no, raid. Of, you had a yes, war- that, yes, that happened. What was in your warehouse, and why was it raided? Uh, the, I mean, this was in the early days of this whole government madness interaction where they just like they tried to get hold of all the orbs and so they just like went to a warehouse and <laughs> did they get your orbs they they got at least a large a large chunk of orbs yes and then there's actually this other story which is very wrong is that i got detained and whatever so this was oh i did see that week. yeah so you were yeah, not i detained. did not get i did i were not detained no one got arrested no one got detained so that's I got so many personal friends reaching out to me and expecting me to sit in a Kenya prison. It did not happen. Actually, in fact, they were very friendly. And right. um, I was very happy that I went to Kenya. Do they still have your uh, orbs? They still have our orbs, yeah. Um, which is which is uh, annoying. But How many do they have? Do you know? I, I really don't know the exact number, but I think 30, 40, something like that. Oh, wow. Well, I hope you get your orbs back. And I uh, wish you luck. It seems like quite the... Uh, quite the ride it is quite the ride now and that is all the time we have i want to thank alex for taking the time i want to thank you all for listening for the ratings for the reviews for telling your friends and neighbors about the show as always i am writing about this week in the sunday Times, so do check it out uh kind of just taking a step back and looking at kind of sam altman's manifest destiny as the New Yorker once put it, and just all the various kind of things he's up to in the world of AI and kind of, and how WorldCoin fits and all that. So do check that out. Um, That is it for me this week. Thank you as ever. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.